It's time to take a look around the NFL with our weekly visit from John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. You need to see a dog make a play. No puppies. I need a dog to make a play. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. And John McClain joins us now on the phone lines with his weekly check-in, talk all things NFL. And, John, we appreciate as always, so the overtime rule got tweaked a little bit. Now it's in the playoffs. It's only the playoffs where both teams are guaranteed to get a possession. What are your thoughts on this? I think it's long overdue for overtime. I mean, for the playoffs, and I think it's great. I don't expect them to do it in regular season anytime soon, Q, because think about this. What if you have, like, Carolina – and Sam Darnold, and um, um, Seattle with Drew Locke, and they go into overtime. How many people are going to be interested in that? And then the game lasts longer, and the game is on CBS, so they're waiting for 60 minutes, and NCIS LA. NBC is about to come on with Sunday Night Football, the most popular show on television. You know, the... The CBS wants to get with the network programming. They don't want two bad teams and two bad quarterbacks to go to overtime and and have play under the new rule. So I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But I do think it's great. It wouldn't bother me to see it say in December when so many teams are jockeying for position, playoff positions. Right. Right, like we saw at the end of last year. I mean, every team was, was jockeying for playoff position at the end of last year. And it sounds like, like, like you said that uh, it wasn't something that they were going to do if it was talking about the regular season, but they did uh, approve it when they started talking about only the playoffs. So I guess that makes uh, a lot of sense. Uh, another thing that popped up out of the, out of the owner meetings that I just uh, saw not too long ago was the fact that it looks like the locker rooms are going to be open in, uh, in 2022. Some people don't understand, John, how big of a deal that is. And you've been covering the league for a very long time. What are your thoughts on the locker room being open and what that means to our coverage that we provide? Well, first of all, when you can go into the locker room, you can get to know players a little bit. There's a 45-minute limit. Some of them come in for five minutes. Some don't come in at all. But if a a player is in front of his locker, you go up and BS with him a little bit. There are several Texans players I'm just talking to the last two years. One guy I got to know a little bit, in 2018, Tyron Matthew, mm-hmm. he was there. They went 11 and five, won the AFC South. His locker was just inside the um, the entrance, and he was next to Justin Lee, the rookie. And those two guys were really good quotes, and they didn't mind BSing with the media. And we got to know them, and and I like that because the more access you have, the better information you get for your listeners, your readers, and your viewers. Agreed. Agreed 100%. Talking right now with John McClain from the Houston Chronicle here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. And you mentioned Tyron Matthew. He still doesn't have a, a, a landing spot. He hasn't signed a, a free agent deal yet. We're about a month away from the draft. How, how quickly do you think or how long do you think these guys, these veterans like a Stephon Gilmore, like the Honey Badger, like uh, you know, uh, Bobby Wagner, how long do you think that they'll hold out before they sign a deal? One of the things those guys have in common, they're 30 or more. Right. When you hit that age, you got to be, you got to be realistic. You're not going to be part of the big wave. Bobby Wagner, who's still a good middle linebacker, they say he's priced, he's making it too expensive. What he should come down is instead of trying to get 12 million, get nine and try to make the rest up. And if he stays healthy, if he achieves certain 
uh, barriers and if the team goes to the playoffs. So uh, they'll come around usually June. Once mm, okay. the off-season programs are over, players are like, okay, I'll take the mil- I will take the minimum and bonuses, and I think you'll see that a lot. And Stephon Gilmore, now he didn't play well last year. He's already 32 years old. Patriots let him go. You know, when some teams that are smart let players go, you've got to have a buyer beware attitude before you sign somebody just because of the way he used to play. Right. Right, because they got that name. And, you know, John, you mentioned June, and I was going to actually – I had this jotted down to ask you a question about June 1st, post-June 1st. The Raiders are going to have about $20 million extra in salary cap space. I was about to ask you, do you think that that's something that they would do in-house contracts with? But you mentioned some of these veterans. Do you think they might go out and sign one of these veterans then in June? Most teams that think they're in the playoff race will sign players before training camp especially if they're veterans that have been out there who produced in the past and you can get them for a good price and promise to make up the difference in either roster bonuses in which the per game bonuses when they're healthy and they play or what they accomplish through a whole season, you give them a lot of incentive to make the extra money. If the team makes the playoffs, makes the divisional round, championship game, or the Super Bowl, they get more money. I would think, that uh, Ziegler is going to use that money to extend some of these players. At some point, Derek Carr is going to have to be extended. Right. And I think this, um, the really good general managers take care of their own first. If you go out like Jacksonville, you bring a bunch of guys who who paying millions and millions of dollars, and then guys on your team have been busting their butt two or three years to be the best teammates they can be, the best players, and they don't make squat compared to these new guys, it can create some animosity behind the scenes and make those other players happy to get out. What did you think of what the Raiders have done so far as far as extending Max Crosby, traded for Devontae Adams, gave him a huge contract, and then brought in Chandler Jones as well? Those are the three big monster moves that this new regime has made. What did you think of that from a distance? Well, Chandler Jones stayed out. He had one great game that kind of skewered his sack totals. But still, if playing opposite Crosby is going to be good, I thought that was good. I thought the Devontae Adams trade was good. Instead of waiting to draft a young receiver, and most of those young receivers, most of them, take a year to develop, not the first year. They're not all Jamar Chases. And getting a proven talent like that who has such a good rapport with the quarterback I thought was really smart, especially since the Raiders think they're going to be picking low next year. So I like what they did. They're trying to win a Super Bowl. They're playing in the toughest division in the NFL I've ever seen top to bottom. There's been some that have been great with a bottom feeder, but uh, I think that you better beef up and you better you better do whatever it takes to beef up if you're going to hope to not just win the AFC West but make the playoffs because those teams are going to beat each other to pieces. <laughs> I'll be st- shocked. If one of them gets home field advantage, I think it'll be somebody like Buffalo beating up on a little better than mediocre AFC East or Tennessee doing it again by beating up on the AFC South. Right, absolutely. We're talking with John McClain here from the Houston Chronicle on Unnecessary Roughness, Rare Nation Radio 920. My man, DeMond's got one for you. All right, John. Q said we weren't going to talk about this anymore, but oh, I know geez. that you've been covering this story like a glove. You've been on top of it from oh, every geez. angle from what I see from your Twitter. So what do you think about the Will Smith slap? 
oh, I thought it was despicable. I think if you can't, if you can't control yourself on national TV and then you come back and sit down and yell a profanity twice on a show that's going out all over the world, you got some serious discipline issues. He's a lot bigger than Chris Rock. I'm not surprised Chris Rock didn't swing back at him. And Will Smith apologized. It's inexcusable. Uh, I don't care. Uh, Chris Rock, I'm guessing, didn't know Jada Pinkett had air loss disease or he wouldn't have brought up G.I. Jane, too. And they said they did it in rehearsal and there was no issue. And Will Smith laughed at first, and then he looked at Jada Pinkett Smith that you could tell it really bothered her. She was irritated, and that's when he went up to do it. Way till afterwards. You know, he waited a long time to uh, apologize, and I'm sure his people told him, look, you haven't had a big movie in a long time. Now, all of a sudden, you're on top of the world winning Best Actor. You need to get out there and uh, and uh, fall on the sword. And Because all the people now, they're going to talk about Will Smith, comma, who, who slapped Chris Rock during the 2022 Academy Awards. You know, that's just something that's going to be with him his entire the rest of his career. All right, man, because I, I knew you were going to have a different take on this, John. <laughs> you know, we can talk about this a little bit later. But <laughs> well, DeMar, hey, follow up on it. One more thing. He's got one, one more thing? thing. The Academy is investigating. Now, they're not going to take away his Best Actor Award. But number one, to me, he should have been escorted off the stage when he did that. And they just let him step there and go on and on and on. And his speech, they would have played the music for anybody else. And I'll tell you this, if they really want to make a point that you can't do that, do not let him present the Best Actress Award next year. There it is. All right. All right, John, moving back to football. Deshaun Watson, <laughs> we see that Cleveland, he's got the contract. They aren't going to do anything to him as they reduce that base salary down to $1 million. So they're firmly backing him. But is there anything else in Houston legal-wise that we may, have to, we may hear about later? another indictment or someone else trying to press charges? No, he hadn't been indicted by two grand juries. Now, that doesn't mean they think he's innocent. They could all think he's guilty. They just don't think there's enough evidence for the prosecutor to convict so they know build him. He's still got the 22 civil suits. He needs to reach settlements. Otherwise, you could have 22 separate suits taken two or three years. Roger Goodell could put him on the exempt list until it's all over. Also, there's nothing to keep the defendants from talking to people in the Cleveland media like they did here. And then the fans and media up there will hear it all over again. There's, there was two things that really bothered me that Watson said in the news conference. He had no regrets. Of course, he's got regrets. His reputation's been stained, tarnished forever. That's a regret. Number two, I don't have a problem. When you have 42 masseuses, that we know of. That's assuming you know, we'd be naive to think there weren't others that didn't want to come forward either to sue him like 22 others or come out on his side, 18, and said he's a perfect gentleman, or two more who came forward in Sports Illustrated. That's 42. Most players have two. <laughs> one to do the massage regularly and a second one in case that first person can't make it and because they know everything about their body. There's a thing on the Internet. Somebody released his deposition, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've watched it twice because he said the Texans didn't know what he was doing. And, and it's, you know, it was awkward. The other thing bothered me. 
and I don't think anybody in the country believes this, that he didn't go to Cleveland because of the money. Didn't even know about the contract until after he had selected the Browns. And I said this, if he, if he were Pinocchio, his nose would have grown all the way across that dais because we all know he picked the Browns because of 230 mil guarantee. Right, exactly. No doubt about it. It's always about the money, John, like you say. And I wanted to ask you, and we'll close up with this, uh, with that salary that he has, with the salary that Matt Stafford has, with the one that Kirk Cousins has, how has that changed the market for what quarterbacks are going to be expecting moving forward? Well, his is way ahead of those. He's blown everybody out of the water, including Aaron Rodgers, with the guaranteed money. Ravens owner Stephen Biscotti at the league meeting today in Palm Beach, he blasted it. Because now Lamar Jackson wants a new contract. He's not pushing for it. The, the Ravens would like to get him extended. Jackson needs an agent. He doesn't have an agent. Right. And when he gets an agent, the agent's going to say, okay, well, let me just point out right now, he wants everything guaranteed. And you can't say, no, we're not going to do it. Well, the Browns did it. You have people who are trailblazers when it comes to contracts, whether it's total value, average of the first three years, guaranteed money. Usually it's guaranteed. And so $230 million guaranteed right now is disastrous for the teams. But I'll tell you what, they got the money. They wouldn't be paying it if they didn't. And I think in another three or four years when all that gambling money goes up, streaming money goes up, people are going to look back and say, you know what, I was wrong. The Browns got a pretty good deal for Deshaun Watson, too, only, only $230 million. Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna be man. When when we hear that conversation, you're right, it's coming. I mean, it's gonna happen. It always does. Oh, that's a good deal. That's a bargain, man. Unbelievable. I'm in the wrong business for sure. I, I should have learned how to throw a ball. <laughs> John, Texas. you can hit. You just can't throw. That's right. I can hit. That's right. Well, does I, Ma I know what a slugger you are. No, nah, he doesn't believe it. He think that. See, John, they think that oh, I'm just. No. Oh, they no. think I'm just telling stories, oh, no. but I'm not. I can hit. Demond don't bet him. He's a pretty good hitter. See. See, there you go. All right, well, I'll tell you, we got a source on the record now. Yeah. We haven't had anyone to corroborate all these stories, but now we got John to back you up. Okay. Hey, John, see me hit home runs. I think one ball's still going. Just saying. I've, I've seen him hit home runs and be so happy about it. He turned cartwheels all the way around the base. <laughs> that I do believe. <laughs> That's the truth. John, what you got coming out, Texas Sports Nation, that we should be on the lookout for? Well, Q in the mind, I've got columns coming out Thursday and Sunday in the Houston Chronicle and on our website. Texas Sports Nation. I'm not going to say what they are, but next Tuesday I'll be glad to talk to you about them because they're two columns that are very dear to my heart, something I've never written in my 46 and a half years. As a, no, I'm sorry, 46 and a half years the Chronicle, working on my 51st as a sports writer. So I look forward to talking to you about it on Tuesday. Thank you very much, as always. Hey, appreciate it. We look forward to Tuesday, John. Thank you so much. There he is, the great John McClain with us here on Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Cannot wait to hear what he's got to talk about next Tuesday. 316 is the time. We'll take some calls and get to your text, especially my text, the guy that I talked about. Uh, what was his name? Oh, you know what? My damn texter went down. Did it go down over there, too? Uh, no, mine's still up. It's still up? Okay, because mine's not. Mine's not. I was trying to. Uh, I was trying to connect it while we were talking to John, and it wasn't connecting. Now nah, maybe we will. Okay, I got a really good text that I'll read. We'll talk about that. We'll get a couple calls in. We'll do it next. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Give me your best. What's up, Raider Nation? This is uh, Hall of Famer Tim Brown. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920. What's up, Raider Nation? This is Hall of Famer Tim Brown, and you listen to Raider Nation 920. 
Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. Still struggling trying to get my text line up. Coming up 3.30, Jeff Perlman, SI.com. Damon somewhat has his text line up over there. It's great. It's like his is about to crash. So I probably shouldn't delay anymore getting to this text that we wanted to, wanted to read. So I'm going to go ahead and let you do it, because if not, then it's going to crash, and then we're not going to get to it. So go ahead, Demond. All right, from Raider 8 Joe 1, I've never understood the idea of putting the press in the locker room for interviews. Locker room should be players slash staff only. Doesn't anyone else, especially the press, think it's super awkward being in there? Super awkward is all parentheses, all caps, excuse me. All the athletes are naked and just trying to shower and go home. Why can't y'all just give them their privacy? Is it really necessary for press to be in there? Can y'all just wait till they show up for interviews in the interview room? Hope it can fruise brother out. Love y'all. Q and Demond. Oh, and I'm excited for a no for a no drama. Oh, for a no more drama free season. R.I.P.T.T. Nice, nice. All right, good stuff, good stuff. And look, and John kind of explained it a little bit in the last segment. John McClain from the Houston Chronicle, who we just had on. But no one, all the players aren't walking around naked. I mean, that's always a perception that people just kind of think that that's what's going on in the locker room. Normally what happens is there's a, a period of time where they get their opportunity to be in the locker room and there's nobody in there. And then finally somebody will come to the door and say, okay, guys, the locker room's open for the next However many minutes. John said 45 minutes. I think it's even probably less than that at this point. But either way, whatever the case may be, uh, you know, some guys are willing to talk. Some guys are just about already dressed or whatever. And, and then you say, hey, you know, do you have a couple minutes? And whatever. Some guys who are writers, they'll go in with an agenda. Maybe if Darren Waller had a big game, they'll say, hey, let me get a few minutes with Waller. Or maybe he didn't have a big game and maybe he wasn't. I don't know. Whatever the case may be. Whatever they're trying, the story that they're trying to write. For someone like me, who I'm not a writer, obviously just do the radio show and do podcasts, it's also talking points and building relationships and being able to to talk. Because when they're at the podium, and Damon, you know, because you walk around with the microphone, it's 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 just different, right? It's not personal. It's not really. It's not one on one. It's not in even in a group setting. It's more of okay, we're gonna ask this question and. It's being streamed live over the internet. It's you know all this stuff. It's just it's just a different type relationship. Yeah, because like you said, they can't clean it up. You right. have to be perfect with what you're trying to say right, right there in the spot. There's no context provided because, like you said, it's being streamed. Mm-hmm. But if you are talking, if someone wants to ask you about that specific play that you had, and also with locker room availability, he says the interview room, only three or four players are right. coming up to that podium. Right. What if you just want to talk to someone because you thought, hey, man, that stop on third down, that was a great stop. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to be able to talk to that backup defensive tackle. To talk right. to him about that big stop that you thought was the turning point in the game. Or, you know, you might see a guy like Alex Leatherwood and think that, hey, he had a dominant game. I want to talk to him about, you know, what was different about this game or what was it, you know, playing next to this person or going up against somebody. You know, what if Khalil Mack was playing against him? You're like, hey, how was it as a rookie going up against Khalil Mack? You're, you might get that where you're not going to get that. He might not even come to the podium, like you said. So you get the, the pick of who it is. And look, everybody's not in there. Some guys take their time and, and they know how long we have. So they'll stay in the locker or in the uh, shower a little bit longer. They'll do stuff like that, you know, and, and some guys will only be in there maybe five minutes and, and some guys will tell you that they don't want to talk. And if they don't, that's okay too. But it just helps provide better coverage for us and explain a little bit more than just if you're on a podium or if you're in a zoom call, because the, the coverage is totally different. Being in a media session in a room is one thing. We are blessed to have that. Because I know guys, I mean, when I was still in Central Texas, we were covering, I mean, I would sit at my house and I would 
just chime in on the Cowboys. It wasn't even a Zoom call. They would just have some other kind of call where you didn't have any pictures or anything, and all of a sudden they'd say, all right, guys, Zeke Elliott's ready. Go ahead. Someone ask a question, and it's a big cluster F. I mean, straight up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, big cluster F, because it's like three of us are trying to talk at the same time. Hey, 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 hey. And that's exactly, loudest yeah. voice wins. Right, exactly. And so it's just it's a lot more personal, and you'll appreciate the coverage a lot better. Exactly, and that's another thing because with the social media age, I feel like people think that they know it all, but somehow you have to get those sources. That retweet that you saw, like, oh, I hear the Raiders are interested in so and so, or a few players are a little disgruntled. Who do you think's getting that information for you? Right, exactly, exactly. And so there's, there's, there's a, it's a great thing. Believe me, it's a really good thing, and it'll provide a lot more coverage. And really, uh, just stick here on Raider Nation Radio 920, and you'll see how much more different the coverage is that we are able to provide than we were even just a year ago. And the coverage that we were able to give you a year ago was good. Don't get me wrong. It was Fantastic. really good. The Raiders really, to their credit, they roll out quite a bit of people at the media session, especially when they win. It's like, man, there's two or three more guys, you know? So, but uh, it's, it's, it's just, like I said, it's a different agenda. Uh, maybe Paul Gutierrez has two questions he wants to ask Alex Leatherwood and, you know, like Hondo has five that he wants to ask Alex. Then that means Alex is stuck at the podium that long where I can maybe stick around where Paul's asking too and then be like, all right, I'm breaking out and I'm going over here to talk to Josh Jacobs. It's You know what I mean? So so if I'm in the locker room, Hondo's in the locker room, Paul's in the locker room, Vinny's in the locker room, Heidi's in the locker room, all of a sudden we've got six or seven different people instead of just two. And that helps provide a lot more coverage. And that's stuff that you won't see on Raiders.com. You're not going to see that on the Zoom call. You're going to get that because we're going to be in there, boots on the ground, providing it and bringing it back to the table. 327 is the time we come back. Jeff Perlman, SI.com. He'll join the show to talk about a hell of a story that he wrote for SI. It is fantastic. You might want to get some tissues. This is Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. We'll get back to phone calls and texts straight off that Raider Nation listener line, 702-365-9200. And, of course, the Sam and Ash text line, 69187, keyword R&R. We'll get back to that after we talk to our next guest. That's Jeff Perlman from SI.com on Twitter at Jeff Perlman. And, Jeff, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. So excited to talk to you. I, I read your piece that you put out on SI, and it was fantastic. And obviously in a way that nobody really wants to have and celebrate because it was about Henry Ruggs and Tina Tintor, but then it wasn't. And we know the tragedy here. Believe me, we went through it uh, here firsthand uh, with Radio Nation Radio 920 here in Las Vegas. But the story ended up being about Tony Rodriguez and how he can't forget and everything that he's gone through since the night of that tragic accident. How eye-opening was this story as Tony was kind of relaying the messages and everything that he's going on or has been going on since that happened? I mean, it's not a, you know, I, I wanted to do this story for, I just thought there was a really interesting story to write about the intersection of Henry Ruggs and Tina Tinter and these two lives coming together and just the tragedy and the fragility of life. And I came to Las Vegas to work on it. And I really couldn't get anyone to talk, um, understandably. It's just, it's a tragedy. And I, I just saw the name. I, you know, I saw that there was this guy, this homeless guy, who happened to try to help at the scene. And, and um, on a lark, I tracked him down and met him at a Starbucks. And he just told his story. And it was, one of, it was probably one of the more remarkable journalism experiences of my life, just sitting there and listening to him and his experiences and sort of the casualty, you know, like 
incidents like this happen, and we always report about the celebrity, mm-hmm. and we always report too little about the non-celebrity who to perished. But there are always these little, you know, shrapnels, these pieces of shrapnel, other people who are affected and hurt, and this was just one of them. Yeah, it really was. And, and reading your story, I mean, it, it's a great job. You, you wrote it so well. I was getting chills, and, and I was telling my guy, Damon, here, I said, man, this this is, like, emotional. And then uh, just hearing you talk about it right there is is, is is it gives me chills as well. And, I mean, this guy, you know, lives in a garage with, with like, 10 others. He rents it out, as you said, you know, a, a homeless man. So he's already doing bad. But it seems like this situation and everything he went through that has to do with this situation put him in such a bad place where he – almost desperately wishes he had been in that car Tina. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was talking to my wife about this story and I think too often when we think about people who are homeless, this is going to sound cliche, but I really mean this. We think about people who are homeless and we immediately think they're bad people mm-hmm. or, you know, we, we kind of damn them to a certain fate. And this guy, he's a drug addict. He was very open about it. He's a heroin addict. And he's a really freaking good human being who just is addicted to drugs. And he saw this accident happen, and instead of passing by or running away or whatever, he ran toward the cars, and he just wanted to help. And then when he couldn't help, he's been devastated ever since. And again, this is a homeless man. He lives in a garage with a bunch of other people. He's addicted to heroin. Um, He doesn't really have a job. He's a sad, sad story. And to sit across from him, I felt like I was sitting across from one of the best people I've ever met. And he kept saying to me, people are calling, like he called, he actually recently texted me. Wow. And he's like, they want to give me an award for being a hero. Some, you know, whatever who was, someone wants to give me an award for being a hero. It's like, I'm not a hero. I, I don't want it. I'm not taking it. I'm not a hero. I wasn't able to save her. He's a decent human being. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, Jeff, like you have a podcast, two writers, Sling and Yang, and you guys talk about, you know, when it comes to having other writers on, and you mentioned this being a great journalistic experience. So when did you shift the story, like Mr. Rodriguez is going to be more of the subject of the story, and how did that come about? I mean, so I went to Las Vegas searching for something I couldn't find. Um, Tina, the woman who died, her family didn't want to talk, and I wasn't, you can't, how big of a jerk would you have to be to keep knocking on doors? Right when this family suffered the ultimate tragedy. I mean, you're only going to ask so many times. Uh, nobody from Ruggs' camp was wanting to talk. And I kind of gave up. I said to my wife, I was like, I just don't know if there's a story here. And then I saw a little tiny interview that Tony had done with a TV station. It lasted for about three minutes. And I thought, I'm going to try finding him mm-hmm. just to talk to him. And um, as soon as I sort of sat down with him, I was like, this story, this is the story. This is a guy... Again, like he didn't die. He wasn't a. He's not going to jail like Henry Ruggs. He's not. You know, he's not a million dollar NFL player. Mm-hmm. He's just a guy who was at this place. And there's a moment that really did it for me when he, um, you know, he he reached into the window. He couldn't see her, but he knew there was a person in there. He heard her breathing, and he broke the window of her car with a hammer. And he reached out, and he had he had her arm in his hands. Oof. Couldn't see her though because of the smog and the fire, right. um, smoke and fire. Pulled, had to pull his arms away, and he's driving away, leaving. And he looks at his hands, and his hands are covered in her blood. And he stops at a, at a at a hospital. Actually, there's a hospital down the road from there in Rainbow to go wash his hands in the sink and pray in the hospital bathroom. And the guy, I'm telling you, this guy. I wish I could help this guy. He's such a good freaking person. 
Right. But this is addicted to a horrible drug. Right, and that's what happens. I mean, you know, a lot, like you said, I mean, it sounds cliche, but there's so many good people that are just in bad situations by one bad choice here and there. And like you said, now addicted to heroin, and he just can't, he can't shake free. But I'm telling you, this is such a fascinating story. And, again, we're talking with Jeff Perlman from SI.com here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. And, and you know, to, his, to what you were saying about him knocking out the window with the hammer, and then he relays the story later and says, you know what, I had a pipe in the car. Maybe I could have popped open the door. Maybe, and, and, like, that stuff eats at him. And you don't think, to your credit, when you're saying he's a good dude, a bad dude doesn't think like that. A bad dude doesn't think, like, well, I could have done more. A bad dude's like, well, I tried him out. He's, like, still in his mind is replaying, like, what else could I have done? That, that is where it's like, that tugs at your heartstrings. Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, I didn't say this to him because it's so cliche and gooey. Like, when he's like, I'm not a hero. I'm thinking, and I'm thinking right now, too. It's like, yeah, you are, man. Like, you did stuff most of us wouldn't do. I cannot guarantee you if I were in his shoes, I'd be searching in my car, running up to a car that's on fire with smoke pouring out of it and trying to pull out a woman I couldn't even see. Right. Like, I don't, I don't know if I'd have that bravery. Probably not, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So he, didn't, he, he couldn't save her, but the guy's so freaking heroic. Again, so decent, and... um I don't know. You, you're on in Vegas. If there's anyone there who knows a way of helping this man, he's really a good person. He's just, again, he's just an addict, and he's a good human being who really tried tried doing. He would have given his life for this woman. I'm telling you, this guy would have given his life for this woman. He is a selfless human being. Who it's just freaking heartbreaking. It is, and you know when you say he would have given his life, I I double down on that. I absolutely believe that he would have. And one of the things that caught my eye and my attention as well in your piece was that he still, you know, drives by the scene. He drives by the memorial that he created and even fell asleep one night next to it. I mean, that's yeah. that's how personal it is to him. It, it means that much to him. And I'll tell you something, and I hope this doesn't come off wrongly. Um, one of the things I was struck by when I was, like I feel you, you meant to know I have a journalism podcast. One of the things I found while researching this, I was really disappointed in the local coverage, the local news coverage of this case, mm-hmm. because it was really cliched. And it was really like, now we're going to move on. And it was very sensationalized because it was a famous NFL wide receiver, and I get it. But, like, lost in all this sort of uh, cliches is this real human toll. And that these are people who, that, whose lives will never... And you know what? I'll tell you something. I really mean this. You work on these stories, and you have to be careful. If you make it too sympathetic toward Henry Ruggs, it's like, how could you be sympathetic toward this guy? Right. Like... His life is a freaking tragedy, man. Mm-hmm. Like, he made a horrible, horrible mistake. A horrible mistake. And his life is ruined. And his family's life is ruined. And there's a video when he was drafted by the Raiders out of Alabama of his mom back home in Montgomery, you know, praising Jesus. And we wanted to go to Las Vegas, and our prayers were answered. Like, the happiest moment. And he made this horrible mistake, and he should do time, and he should not be forgiven per se you know, in the short term. Right, for but sure. But, like, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy for Tina and for the family. Mm-hmm. It's a tragedy for Henry Ruggs and his one-year-old kid yep. and the mother of his child. It's a tragedy for, for Tony. It's just an all-around tragedy. And just too often when we cover these cases in local media, we go cliche, cliche. We do as many stupid, lame stories as we can. We get the eyewitness to talk about it. And then we move on to the next tragedy, and we never really deal with the repercussions of it all. 
Those are facts. Those are absolute facts. And I, and I think around here uh, on Raider Nation Radio, that was the angle that we took. And it wasn't really an, even an angle, but it was just like, a, hey, let's, let's put this into a vacuum and realize there's so much that is lost. And you just put it out there and laid it out there perfectly. There's so much tragedy to go around from so many different different sides of things. And it's just, it's just, it's horrific. I mean, it really is. And even Tony, you know, every, every life is so valuable that Tony, man, that just, I mean, just reading what you wrote about him, just, it, it really tugged at my heartstrings. And, and even you mentioned that you can look at his hands and, and still see a little bit of even like burn from it on his hands and everything. And, and that tells you a lot about, about the guy he is as well. He was just a, I mean, he was just a guy who was, it just sucks, man. I mean, I, I know a lot of ways I wish it was someone else because he's just really, really haunted by this, and his life is so hard already. Right. And right. he's faced so many struggles in his life. And I, I will say another thing that, again, my wife is a social worker, and we talked a lot about this story today, mm. is behind most drug addicts is a lot of trauma, is a lot of life trauma. And they're not just people, well, you didn't have to use, or blah, blah. like it's a lot of people who have suffered abuse, who've suffered tragic upbringings, who have been unable to overcome things in their lives, obstacles in their lives. And this is a perfect example, a really good guy who's just dealt with a lot of awfulness in his life. Right. No doubt about it. Talking right now with Jeff Perlman from SI.com on Unnecessary Roughness. Just got a couple more questions for you. Go ahead, Demont. Yeah, Jeff, you said that you met Tony at a Starbucks. How long did you guys meet for, and how open was he with sharing his story? I mean... He is probably as open as anyone I've ever interviewed. Wow. He really was as open as anyone I've ever interviewed. He just talked. I feel like maybe it was, it was a little bit of therapy for him. There were times, and this doesn't happen that often in interviews, there were times where I felt like I was counseling him a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, you know, he was really beating himself up. And there were times when I was like, listen, man, I said to him what I just said to you, basically. I was like, I doubt I would have done what you did. You know, like, I don't think I would have done what you did. Look around the Starbucks. Most of these people would not have done what you did. I know you didn't save her, but, man, you you did everything you could. Mm-hmm. And he was as open as could be. Uh, I probably spent an hour and a half with him, maybe two hours in Starbucks. Also, another thing, like, again, people are, this is going to sound dumb, right? People are always like, ah, homeless people always asking for money, and blah, 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 blah. Like, this guy has nothing. We meet at a Starbucks. I say, Tony, what can I get you? I'll just have a coffee. You want a large? No, I'll just have a medium. We're leaving. Tony, can I buy you anything? Do you want something to eat? Do you want, have a, you know, how about your girlfriend? Would your girlfriend want something? He's like, she likes caramel. I'm like, you want me to get her like a caramel macchiato? Only if you don't mind. Only if you don't mind. Like, he wasn't playing me for money. He wasn't playing me for food. Most, you know, he's just a guy who's struggling. I can't say that enough. He's just a guy who's struggling. And I'm always... I'm a big proponent of if you people are always like, oh, that guy asking for money, that guy asking for money. You can never go wrong buying someone a coffee Facts. or giving buying someone a sandwich. I, know, I understand you don't want to buy an addict. You don't want to give them money to feed their addiction. You can never go wrong buying someone a sandwich, giving them some food. And I just, this guy was just happy to have a freaking cup of coffee. Yeah. No, that's 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 something. And, you know, uh, talking about some trauma that he had to deal with, you know, while he was still in L.A. working, he actually had to drive as a guy who – picked up bodies that were deceased and passed and had to go and pick up his own brother's body. Like it's a crazy story. How, crazy. I mean, how, how tragic is that? He, um, he had a really weird job. So he was in high school. He was a decent high school athlete. Uh, didn't complete high school. Job for a company that brought bodies to morgues and mortuaries. So 
you get a call, or whatever, every morning. All right, you got to go to so and so and pick up so and so. And one day, the boss said, and they would give the name. And the boss said, uh, "Here's a guy. Um, you got to pick up a guy named Rodriguez. It's probably your brother." Ha ha ha! Like joking because they have the same last name. Right. And it turns out it was his brother. His brother had killed himself in prison, and he told his boss, "That actually is my brother." And the boss was like, "You don't have to do it. Don't worry about it." And Tony was like, "No, I want to pick him up. He's family. I'm going to do this. It's the only the one thing I should do." And he went and picked his brother up and drove him to the morgue. It's crazy. I mean, the amount of things this guy's seen in his life is just crazy. Man, it really is. And, and you know, and that's that probably all prepared him for the moment that he had. Even though unsuccessfully, he gave everything he got to try to to try to get Tina and, and Max out of that car. And uh, you know, and again to this day, it just beats him up. But uh, Jeff, we could sit here and talk all afternoon about it. Uh, again, a fantastic piece. We've tweeted it out multiple times. Want to make sure that everyone gets a, just to read it and just to get a little knowledge, you know, just to understand everyone that is being affected by this, including Tony. And, and like you said, how good of a dude he is. And I'm hoping someone who, who's listening to this couldn't help him. Maybe they'll know him or know where they can find him and, and get him some help. So uh, I, I appreciate you spending a, a few minutes with us and, and, and just talking about the story. And, and well done. Great job. All right. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Uh, no, no doubt. Appreciate you. There he goes. Jeff Perlman, SI.com on Twitter at Jeff Perlman. If you have not read the story i encourage you i mean even though we went into great detail about it do yourself a favor if you do anything and listen to anything i ever tell you do yourself a favor and read that it is a fantastic piece matter of fact let me look at it right now si.com it's on um this says uh it's the daily cover this whole thing has me effed or has effed me up and then on the cover it says tony rodriguez can can't forget and it's a Sports Illustrated daily cover, and you see the the car right there on the on the street. And so, uh, yeah, just just go check it out and read it. Three forty-five is the time. We'll come back, close out hour number two. This is Radio Nation Radio nine twenty. There's no big secret to winning football. It's just doing what these guys do every game. Just go out and give it your best. Bottom line, I took a team to a Super Bowl and we won. I even had some guys on that team that nobody wanted, but we were a team, and that's what you guys are. You're a football team. That's kind of like a family, except you get to hit each other. But you have to stick together. Do that, you'll be fine. Thanks, Mr. Rabbit. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. Got Vinny Bonsignor coming up 4 o'clock. He's at West Palm. He's hanging out on the beach. Checking in from the owners' meetings. He'll do that in about 12 minutes. Just had a fantastic interview with Jeff Perlman from SI.com talking about the Henry Rugg situation, the Tina Tentor tragedy, and also Tony Rodriguez, the man that tried to help Tina out. That I'll tell you right now, not because I'm trying to toot my own horn or DeMond's own horn, uh, fantastic stuff. Fantastic stuff. And really, um, man, if you, don't, if you don't read that piece, uh, you're doing yourself a disservice. I'll, I'll tell you, we literally had to wrap up that interview because uh, emotions were going to start flowing. And normally I'm one of those guys that we can have an interview all – I don't care. We can go 20, 25 minutes, whatever. But if I had had Jeff on a little bit longer, the emotions were going to continue to flow for sure. Sir Whiskey Ray hit us up on the Salmon Ash text line at 69187, keyword r That was a fantastic interview with Jeff. Wow. This definitely puts things and life into perspective. Um, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Thanks, Sir Whiskey Ray. I do appreciate that. Let's go out to the phone lines real quick. 702-365-9200. Let's talk to Raider Mike in Colorado. Appreciate your patience, my man. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on? Q, DeMond, what's going on, man? 
Hey man, I just want to first say um, shout out to that interview I just had, man. That was a uh, it was more, it was way more than football on yep. that one. Yes, very touching. Um, it was it was a great listen. Um, one thing you you asked you asked earlier, man, about uh, what we're excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say this. I'm going to say, for one, we're not a laughing stock in the league no more. Um, for years, on years upon years, um, the Raiders just always seem to be like a laughing stock to those networks, you know, ESPN, NFL Network, and all those types of things, man. And I think that we're finally making those championship moves to the point where they can they can only talk about championships with us. At least, at least have us in that conversation, right? You know what I mean, and not make us look silly anymore. Um, and also, man, uh, I think that the more we win, if if the season um, upon us, we start winning, everybody's gonna be quiet. There's not gonna be no more car talking. There's not gonna be no more. This team sucks. This and that. Or, bro, the Raiders will be the Raiders. The Raider fans will be the Raider fans, and we're all going to uni- uh, unite, man. For one. Because losing, I'll tell you what, man, losing will bring down everybody. <laughs> right. It will Facts. bring down everyone. But the more we keep winning, if we start winning and consistently doing it, oh, that's only going to solidify the fact that we're the best fan base in sports easily. Um, so I'm not worried about that. Um, but, um, yeah, man, um, I also want to shout out uh, you, Damon, uh, for what you guys do on the daily, man. Um, it takes a lot of work and um, – a lot of pressure and everything you guys do for us, man. Uh, my guy Grump, brother Marquis, Selena, <laughs> most known unknown. Shout out my gang, man. Um, that's all I want to say, man. God bless you guys. I right, appreciate you, man. Great call. Thank you so much. And hey, that's what it's about, man. Not being a laughing stock, right? And there was, there was times. And now, you know, I I pay attention to what's going on nationally. I don't ever really take it too seriously, but I have been noticing, been noticing a lot more positive talk about the Raiders. Now, I'm not saying everyone's sold like, hey, they're going to go win a championship, but they know that the Raiders ain't playing around. And again, I think it comes from the calm, the cool, and the relaxed, and the as a matter of fact of the front office that the Raiders currently have. And that's not a slight to the last front office. I was a big Mayotte guy. I really could appreciate him. Everything he said, it made sense. I don't know how much, you know, he was held back and how much his hands were tied, like Gangster Raider said earlier. I don't know. I wasn't in the room. I don't have that dynamic. But this just feels like this is a recipe for success. And I keep comparing it to what the 49ers had when they had John Lynch and they had Kyle Shanahan both come in at the same time, sharing the same vision. It wasn't one guy was here and brings the other guy in. They both came in together, and we'll look. They didn't win, but they've been to the Super Bowl. Just going to throw that out there. Let's go out to this 408. Let's talk to our guy, Big Jose in San Jose. What's on your mind, my man? Hey, man. Um, man, I hate to follow Jeff Proven, man. How, how can you follow that, right? I mean, <laughs> right. Just, I mean that, that was just so, I mean, at the human level. Yes. And, um, oh, wow. And I actually had a chance to read it while, you, while the interview was going on, and then just the description – I've already talked about Tony Rodriguez. I mean, it's it's amazing, and so um, yeah, you know, uh, addicts addicts are people too. I mean, like yep. I, like I've shared with you before, I have 19 years of sobriety, and uh, you know, it, it has no uh, biases. It, you know, addiction can affect anybody and ravage anybody's life. Yep. But um, the one thing that I want to look forward to this year is um, I was going to come on and, and you know, there's times on the show where we talk and we clown around and we have some fun, right? And I was going to talk about the PNC, but then Jeff Perlman's show really um. 
brings life into perspective. And, you know, it, it, it's good to have both. I commend you and DeMond both, you know, having that balance in, in reporting and the duties that you do, you know, Raider Nation. So shout out to you guys. Um, I'm going to look forward to putting it on the Niners this year, man. That's nice. what I want. Yes. Right? That's yes. Put them on them boys from Santa Clara. I mean, they didn't even know where to close the You know, but uh, the, the Great America group. So, um, yes. yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to, man. And, um, yeah, um, this year I just want to be able to say that, you know, to quote Denzel, man, King Kong got nothing on us. That's right. right. Peace out. Love you guys, brother. Hey, appreciate Bye. it. Hey, thank you for the call, man. Great stuff. Great stuff. And, yeah, we do like to we like to have a lot of fun around here, no doubt about it, because if we take ourselves too seriously, well, then we, we got a problem with ourselves. I mean, we're supposed to be here to entertain, provide information, do everything that we do, be an outlet. But at the same time, you know, sometimes life, you know, life is is, is important. It's an important aspect, and you got to bring it to the table. And so we like to have a nice balance of of life and fun and intelligent conversation and so you just kind of all all boils into one man and so that's that's what we do around here but definitely appreciate that and yeah uh, you got the 49ers at the house right so that's that's what's going down <laughs> ain't gonna go be playing the ball in no in no santa clara and <laughs> then grand america's parking lot ain't gotta worry about that that by the way is the worst parking lot to try to get out of that parking lot was man it was it was almost impossible to get in the parking lot, and then trying to get out of it was such a nightmare. Worse than SoFi? Oh, man. I'm, you brought up SoFi, and all of a sudden I'm like, well, hey, well, maybe. <laughs> they both were terrible, man. They both were terrible. So Allegiant Stadium, to me, seems like it's a lot easier to get in and out. But I know that, uh, you know, I'm there a little bit longer just because, you know, we go to the media session. So maybe maybe it's it's not as easy either. I don't know. Number one stadium for fan experience, baby. That's right. That's right. Hey. That's that's Oh, those are facts. I like that. Those are definitely facts. Good stuff right there. Uh, let me see. I think I got one more text that I want to get to, and then we'll kick into hour number three. Vinny Bonsignor will join the show. Uh, let's see. Big Dub Raiders say, Q, I'm most excited to see how McDaniel's offense changes from week to week. I know we had Musgrave, and his scheme is similar. McDaniel's will be different, and I'm excited to see it go Raiders. And uh, that's a good text. And I'll tell you this. I remember when Musgrave was hired by uh, by Jack Del Rio, I was thinking, oh, no, not Bill Musgrave. He's not very good. You know, I just I remember uh, how Bill Musgrave was before. And I thought, oh, that's not a good that's not a good hire. And, uh, you know, it ended up being pretty good for the one year, that 2016 season when it was, you know, a, a nice high flying offense. It was it was fantastic. And then all of a sudden, you know, they had to go and make the move to uh, DeMond's boy, Todd Downing. And, uh, yeah, it was never the same again. And then Bill Musgrave went to Denver and he wasn't very good there. I don't think he was the OC, but he was he was a guy on the offensive staff. I think he was the OC at first. But anyway, it wasn't very good. <laughs> it wasn't very good. But he he struck lightning in the bottle that one year with uh, with Derek Carr and company in 2016 when the Raiders uh, made their run to the playoffs and unfortunately for DC you know had the ankle injury and wasn't able to play. But man, uh, I, I was never a fan of the Bill Musgrave hire, and then I wasn't a fan of the Bill Musgrave fire either. I was thinking, oh, you got to have Bill Musgrave. Back. How that gonna work? Well, because. This is the excuse that was given when they went and hired Todd Downey or they, they moved him up. He was the, I think, like quarterback coach or something like that, right? They moved him up, and the excuse was, well, he's a young uh, offensive mind. He's going to be an offensive guru, similar to Sean McVay, which everyone's looking for. Uh, some other team's going to go hire him away. Uh, he's Derek Carr's best friend. They're really good. You know, they get along with each other, so he's going to be able to push the right buttons. Like every narrative that as a fan you want to hear thinking, oh, this is going to be great. And it wasn't. And ultimately, what I believe it was, and this is just me, is that Jack Del Rio was feeling some kind of way because Bill Musgrave's offense was 
outshining the rest of the team, and he wasn't. He sabotaged the team. I'm not saying he sabotaged the team. I'm saying he just decided not to bring the guy back. Just throwing it out there. I think, I think it's not a conspiracy. I think any Raider fan alive will tell you that. And that's why when we knew that Todd Downey was the guy that's in Tennessee, we all laughed. Why do you think I think it's such a big joke? Because he was hyped up to be the boy genius. He's, Number one seed, man. Yeah, okay. What, what, what did, how did Todd Downey's offense look to you? Derrick Henry was hurt. We, we don't have the full picture okay. because Derrick Henry, you know, missed half of the season. Okay. So we can't, you know, how's an offense supposed to perform when it isn't clicking on all cylinders? Julio was hurt all the time. Yo, we, yo it's You're an incomplete. The only incomplete. offense was the guy in the backfield. It's incomplete. That was the only offense was the guy in the backfield. And if I had King Kong running behind me, I would be good, too. I could call plays, too. It's like Bo Jackson on Tecmo Bowl. Bo right. Bo left. Bo right. Bo left. Touchdowns. Simple. 358 is the time. We'll come back, kick off hour number three. Vinny Bonsignor from the West Palm Beach, Florida, where he's hanging out at the owners' meetings. He'll join us next. This is Radio Nation Radio 920.